We were sitting around the office one day and tried to explain what Western Oklahoma Realty was. If you had to put it in a dictionary, what would you get? What kind of definition you would get? I think I said, is it, what about, were people before property? Well, it means that you put uh, the, the person that you're working with or the family that you're working with, you put their interests first. Uh, you uh, make sure that you find the right property for them at the price that they can afford and make sure that uh, you take good care of them through the process. For all your real estate needs, give Western Oklahoma Realty a call at 225-6271. Throw balls far. You want good words? Data language. Talk real sports with a real man. Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. And now, here's the be all, end all, know it all of high school, college, and pro sports. Aaron Skinny Calc with the Skinny on Sports. We're talking about practice, man. I'm the MVP. Good Monday morning out there, Western Oklahoma. Welcome to the Skinny on Sports right here on 98.1 FM. The Sports Animal, glad to have you along for the next hour. We're going to be really college football heavy. Matter of fact, that's about the only thing I've gotten written down on my sheet for today. What is going on down in College Station, Texas? What are they doing? Do they even have any idea what they're doing? wildness on Saturday night regarding the Texas A&M head coaching job. I, I'm still not 100% sure that they, should have, that they should have fired Jimbo Fisher and just paid him $77 million to go away. But I promise you on Saturday night, if he was in his mansion watching football, having cocktails and smoking cigars, he was laughing at the debacle that's going on down in College Station, Texas. For a little bit, it looked like they had hired Mark Stoops. The fan base went nuts on social media, and it appears affected what happened. Some people are comparing this to what happened at Tennessee with Greg Schiano and the outrage that the, that the fan base of Tennessee had on social media to affect that hiring. I don't see it the same because there was actually you know, some ties from Schiano's time at Penn State back to the Jerry Sandusky thing that were legitimate concerns by some of those fans. This was just children. So we'll talk about that, what it looks like is going to happen down at A&M. Nationally, college football, it was what a wild weekend, man. We still didn't, we still haven't gotten the upsets that are so common year after year after year in college football. We still haven't gotten there. But at least this weekend, we were really close to a few of them uh, that, that ended up making legendary moments. The Iron Bowl, just craziness what happened there down the stretch of that game and how Alabama pulled that win out in Jordan-Hare to the chagrin of all the Auburn fans. Washington just keeps on having close game after close game after close game after close game, but wins every one of them. The Ohio State-Michigan game lived up to every bit of the hype that it had surrounding it. It came down to a last-minute drive for Ohio State. What did we make of Florida State? We got to see Tate Rodemaker, Rodemaker uh, out there in the swamp in that rivalry game. It looked, at, it looked for a little bit like that wasn't going to go well, uh, but made some plays, got obliterated, and came back in the game toward the end. So how do we, how do we view Florida State now? 
And then a couple of other guys, a couple other teams did what playoff type teams do. Texas and Oregon just blew out in state rivals on Friday to put themselves in position this weekend. So where are we? Conference championship Saturday or conference championship weekend coming up. Where do we set with the college football playoff? Then in the in-state stuff to start, Oklahoma State left for dead by a bunch of people watching both on TV and in the stadium. But they come back to beat BYU and now we'll play for the Big 12 title down in Arlington. All right, OSU fans, be honest. What was your level of faith a comeback was coming there at halftime? And how did it happen? Why did it happen? I think this game is kind of a microcosm of what happened throughout the season for Oklahoma State. Oklahoma blows away TCU. The offense was awesome. The defense was horrible, except for, especially in the second half. So now, OU fans, how do you feel about this season? In regards to this conference, but maybe even more importantly, how do you feel from a preparedness level for what's coming next year and the change into the SEC? And that'll be a little bit different than uh, maybe it would have been because Jeff Levy is not going to be the offensive coordinator. I know a bunch of people are probably happy about that. Uh, I don't know if that's quite the way to think or the way to feel, uh, but yeah, he accepted the job at Mississippi State. So who replaces him, and how does that affect recruiting, not only for the guys that will sign in December, the guys that are already there, how does that work, and who could it be to replace Jeff Levy as the offense coordinator at Oklahoma? 225-9698 is the phone or the text line. It's 225-9698. Give us a call, shoot us a text. We can talk about any of those things, whatever else might be on your mind. Feel free to chime right in at 225 225- Nine six nine eight. If you're going to be outside the listening area, a couple ways to stay in touch with the show. Log on to kadsam.com, or you can download the Paragon app. The app is free, and it's got every single thing that we do here. It's got the radio stations, the Penny News. Brand new edition of that Penny News is coming this week. Also, Big Elk and Paragon TV. Speaking of coming... Basketball, basketball, basketball on Paragon TV starting tonight. The Merritt Oilers open up their season this evening, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pulling it up right now to let you know. But uh, you can watch live streams of high school hoops all season long on Paragon TV. Yep, sure enough. Merritt at Cordell tonight, 6.30 for the girls, 8 o'clock for the boys. And then Tuesday, tomorrow, there are a slew of games throughout western Oklahoma all the way through. I mean, listen. It'll be rolling until a couple weeks into December. Take the Christmas break off, and then when we come back in January, it is just wall-to-wall basketball for basically two months until the state tournament in March up at the Big House in Oklahoma City. So you can check all that out. Big Elk TV, Paragon TV, the Elks and Elkettes open on Friday over at Weatherford. And then the Skinny on Sports podcast, which I did remember to record this morning. So if you missed the show entirely, you can go back and check it out anywhere where podcasts drop jared is not here today it's just me glad to be along after a wild woolly weekend of uh, college uh, college football rivalry weekend it lived up to the rivalry weekend moniker there were so many games that came right down to it but once again we see and this is such an abnormal thing but the upsets just did not come they just have not come like we're accustomed to, especially once the calendar turns to like late October, early November, 
and teams are undefeated, you know, there's always that scenario of, oh, what happens if there's four or five undefeated teams when we get to the end of November or whatever and, and they start to fall by the wayside? It didn't happen this year. There's still four undefeated teams going into the conference championship weekend. That, that's not something that we're accustomed to in college football. I wonder what the reasons are for that. But starting Stillwater, uh, one of those games that looked like it was going to be an upset. BYU came out, and after an early turnover, but forced Oklahoma State to kick another field goal, trailed 6 nothing, and then all of a sudden the Cougars just mashed the gas and were ultra, ultra aggressive in the first half. Led 7-6, to six, did a surprise onside kick, which they recovered, were flagged for a penalty. So Oklahoma State got the ball. They still you know, picked six, uh, a fake punt that was executed just perfectly. And you look up at it, it was 24-6 at halftime. And for the second straight week, Oklahoma State had dug itself a hole against a vastly inferior opponent this week in BYU. I thought one of the biggest, plays, one of the biggest turn, turning points of that game was with everything going against Oklahoma State after that fake punt, you know, Brendan Presley, I guess you could say he made the tackle or got tackled and tripped up the guy that caught the, the, the defensive end that caught the uh, the fake punt. But anyhow, got him to the ground. Oklahoma State, uh, and that was kind of the, the first time where Oklahoma State's defense started making a statement. They held BYU out of the end zone, gave up a field goal, but at that point it really felt like a win for Oklahoma State. Even though you're down 24-6, to I still, for me, I was thinking, okay, enough. They're eventually Oklahoma State's going to kick it in gear, surely, or aren't they? And then an, another pivotal moment was to begin the third quarter. Oklahoma State's defense came out and just started to throttle BYU and the Cougars offense, a three and out, a quick score, and all of a sudden, 24 to 13, with what, 10 minutes left to play in the third quarter. You could see light at the end of the tunnel if you were an Oklahoma State fan. And it took and it took the entirety of, of the fourth quarter or the second half for it to finally kind of get there, but it did. I mean, it BYU's offense and the aggressiveness that they played with in the first half, it was like they were from the minute they stepped foot on the floor, on the field at Boone Pickett Stadium out of the halftime locker room, it was like they were just counting the seconds down, trying all they could just to run the clock out as opposed to doing what got them there. And that was being so aggressive on offense, being able to run the ball and just and create creativity was at a, was a very high. They really had Oklahoma State's defense on its heels, but then – and the Cowboys came and, and threw the first punch in the second half, and it staggered BYU. That I don't, they never really regained what they were all about until almost magically that last drive to kick that field goal to send it into overtime. I think they'd had one first down up until that point, and then they got were able to manage three or four and, and kick a, a crazy long field goal for the, the kicker, what, 49-yarder. They just split the uprights in the rain. A heck of a kick. And then in overtime, Ollie Gordon just took over. Uh, there was a couple of play, both scoring plays where it looked like BYU had them stopped. And Ollie Gordon's just exceptional ability of vision and, and power and speed were able to uh, give Oklahoma State the win, 40-34 to 34 in double overtime. Just a, a crazy comeback. I really, I really would like to know, OSU fans, how did you feel? 
How did you feel at halftime of that game? Was it one of those like, okay, enough. We played horrible in the first half. We need to come out and, and exactly what happened, what, what needed to happen, happened. Okay, if we come out, get a stop, get a quick three and out, go score, we're right back in this thing. Was that the mindset or was it, uh-oh, here we go again? I realize it was an awful weather day, but just from looking at what we saw inside Boone Pickens Stadium, it almost felt like a majority of those fans thought, uh-oh, here we go again, and didn't return after halftime. And, and I, I listen, that's I'm not one of those going to sit here and just bash – fans for not going it was a horrific day weather wise i wouldn't have sat out there in it so uh, how who am i to say you should have if you didn't I'm, I'm not i'm not here to do that at all but just from uh was it weather was it uh i can't believe we're gonna get right here to the end not be able to get it done but then you know ollie gordon started making plays which then opened up the passing game i thought it was reminiscent of the week before against houston where alan bowman made it a focus when the ball was going to be thrown to get it to Brendan Presley early in the third quarter that then, you know, maybe forces changes in coverage and then Leon Johnson started making plays and and it seemed like, you know, even though it took Oklahoma State all the way to the end of the fourth quarter to finally take the lead. What the way the third quarter started for me, it felt inevitable that eventually Oklahoma State was going to win that game. And having said that, you know, the, the play at the end with Rucker forcing the fumble on third down, you know, that doesn't go that way. And all of a sudden, BYU may score and have a chance to win the game. But it just, to me, it felt like Oklahoma State was always always going to win the game, was always the better team. And it just took forever for that to finally manifest itself into a victory. A, another huge play, I thought, on the, the, the drive that they took the lead on in the fourth quarter, fourth down near midfield, Jaden Nixon running through the tackle of the BYU secondary guy, a humongous play. Because, you know, how many times do you see that exact play where the ball is caught short of the line to gain and, a, and somebody from the secondary come up, make it just a, a, a tackle short of the line, and everybody is second-guessing the call to run that play because how do you not run it past the sticks? I hate that you can just hear – the criticisms of Casey Dunn or Mike Gundy or both, if Jaden Nixon doesn't run through that tackle to get that first down to continue that drive that eventually uh, took the lead for Oklahoma State. So I thought that was a huge play in the game, uh, just a determination-type play of, you know, I'm not going to be denied getting those extra couple of yards after contact to make sure that things keep on going. And uh, Oklahoma State, uh, to me, that game – was a it was the exact replica of of the season. The first quarter you start out decent, leading six to nothing, kind of like decent with the first couple of wins. Then the rest of the first half just disaster. All of what happened against South Alabama and then the Iowa State loss. But then resiliency, tough mindedness, and just. Um, a willingness to do everything that they had to do to figure out a way to come back and win the game. And that's what you saw in the second half and even into the overtimes where it just always felt to me like Oklahoma State, once they gained their footing starting the third quarter, they were always going to win that game. And kudos to the Cowboys. What a season. Considering the preseason lack of hype, 
you know, there's people beating their chest all of a sudden, two or three around the country, that they had this title game pick before the season. Okay. But universally buried were the Cowboys coming off of those two straight losses early on to South Alabama and then Iowa State. I mean, think about the rumors that everybody heard. Coming home from Ames, Iowa, the whole team was quitting, getting into the portal. No one was staying. The locker room was exploded. Gundy has no control of the program. Fire him, fire Don, fire everybody. And then Monday morning, the sun rose in Stillwater, and none of that happened. And then all of a sudden, you reel off, what, four or five straight wins? And here you are in the Big 12 title. It's just an amazing job. It's hard to think of a better job that Mike Gundy has done as a head coach at Oklahoma State. From where they came from to where they are now. And if they win on Saturday, I have no idea how you could put any season ahead of this one that turns into a Big 12 title considering where they were and where they were left for dead on the side of the road somewhere between Ames, Iowa and Stillwater, Oklahoma back at the end of at the end of September. Just an amazing turnaround. Kudos to everybody involved because it, it has a thing like that has to take everyone believing that it can happen, putting in the work to make it happen. And uh, Oklahoma State fans ought to be really proud of what their team accomplished this year in turning things around and now having a chance to win their second Big 12 title. And the last one that will ever be, at least in this iteration of the conference. And what a sweet way to go out it would be if the Pokes would have scoreboard, eternal scoreboard, over both Oklahoma and Texas as those two exit the conference at the end of the season. So kudos to Oklahoma State. What a great season. And just Saturday was, to me, just that microcosm of what they're all about. Looking horrible, shooting themselves in the foot, yet not blowing off every toe and being able to turn turn things around and end up with the W to send them to Arlington. Oklahoma – on uh, Friday, Black Friday afternoon, offense was un- unstoppable. Just a crazy offensive performance uh, by the Sooners, putting up 62 offensive points, 69 total with the pick six from Billy Bowman, his third of the season. And it, it, it felt a little bit like a Lincoln-Riley game, to be quite honest with you. OU had a chance to blow TCU completely off the map, led 42-13, to give up a late field goal in the first half, and then can't stop anything the Horn Frogs do for a bunch of that second half. End up giving up 45. It's crazy to think you give up 45 points. And it never really felt like you had any chance to lose that game because of the way that Oklahoma's offense was just rolling up and down the field, I mean, as TCU's was. But OU, you don't give up 520, 520 yards and – and 45 points very often, and think to yourself, man, we're not going to, there's no, no chance that uh, TCU is going to win this game. And that's, that's the way it, it seemed all afternoon, just because anytime TCU would score, pull within two touchdowns, the Sooners always had an answer, just immediately had an answer. Anytime. So, good offense, bad defense. 
kind of been the theme of the second half of the season, really, for OU in my mind. Just not good enough at the end of the day to be a, a championship-worthy team. And I, I think you know, Sooner fans look back and it's it's kind of a what if, right? What if you make an what, – what if you get a first down at Kansas? What if you get a first down at Kansas, you get another shot at Texas? You know, what if you make an extra play in Stillwater? Same thing. I mean, what if you do both? And then the conversation is completely different. But at the end of the day, the truth of it is, this Oklahoma team isn't worthy of even being discussed as one of the top four teams in the country. And that and, and here's the thing. That's okay, considering where you came from. A year ago, in the first year under Venables, being the first losing season since John Blake. How many of you, let's be honest, without even thinking about not playing for the last Big 12 title and the two teams that you would choose one and two not to play for it are, but having said all that, how many of you in your heart of hearts, if I'd have told you in August, Oklahoma will go 10-2, and two, Oklahoma will beat Texas. And just tell you that right there. How many of you would have taken that back in August? I'm going to go with a vast, vast majority of folks that root for the Crimson and Cream would have taken that in August. And now here it is. Yeah, th- yeah. there's disappointment. We talked about it last year. We talked about it la- last week. The disappointment comes with the raised expectations that even, even OU fans didn't have until the Texas win. Until OU beat Texas, everyone and their dog takes 10-2 and in beating Texas. But it all changed. It all changed that day in the Cotton Bowl, and the expectations went through the roof, and now here we are. With Oklahoma being an improved version of Oklahoma, no doubt. A vastly improved version in some ways, no doubt. But still, obvious things to work on, obvious things that have to get better with what's coming up next year and the move to the SEC and a lot different um, a lot different uh, challenges ahead. So to me, a much better year than last year. Now the questions will remain, how ready is Oklahoma to go play in the SEC? And that's going to occur with the new offense coordinators. Jeff Levy leaves OU to go be the head coach at Mississippi State. I think it's funny to see the reaction of, of of fans that root for OU. Were there faults? Were there warts a little bit with Jeff Levy? Sure there were, as there are with every single offensive coordinator that's ever coordinated a game. But at the end of the day, are you 100% sure that there's going to be an improvement in offensive coordinating? from Jeff Levy to whoever OU hires next? I'm certainly not. Not at all. I don't I don't know how anybody could be so certain of such a thing. I mean, if you want to question a play call here, a play call there, a, a game plan here or there, well, go ahead. It's your right. But the grass is not always greener on the other side. And I think that Jeff Levy has more than proven himself to be considered one of the top 
I don't know, five offensive minds in college football. Go back and look what he helped do at, at UCF. Go look look what he helped do in the SEC at Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin before he came to Oklahoma. And now what he did with Oklahoma. A whole bunch of people think he's pretty pretty darn awesome. And the, the hire of Jeff Levy at, at, old, at uh, Mississippi State is really – almost being universal, universally approved by those that pay attention to college football. So I would caution Sooner fans to be uh, not to be quite so happy that you're seeing a guy in Jeff Levy exit stage left after two years. Now who replaces him? That's a great, great question. How much of an appetite is there for Brent Venables to go outside of the program? I think this, there's a couple of things at play. No matter what they say, if you're an OU coach, OU fan, you have to be at least a little bit cognizant of what Jackson Arnold thinks. Now, I don't, I don't think you go as far as to let him make the hire by any stretch, but you have to at least think to yourself, is this a guy that Jackson Arnold could play for? Is this a guy that Jackson Arnold would or will play for? Because as we saw the Cotton Bowl a couple years ago, Pickens are pretty slim behind him. So is it is it some combination of Seth Luttrell, Matt Wells, Emmett Jones, Bill Biedenboe? Sounds like maybe even Joe John Finley's going to stay. A lot of people thought he would go coordinate uh, an offense for Levy uh, when he left, but at least early reports are suggesting maybe that's not the case. Or do you, you go outside the program? You know, a Joe Brady pops up in, in people's minds. Um, you know, I've seen like Cliff Kingsbury floated as a possibility. I mean, there, there's a lot of different guys out there. And, and, the, and the one thing that, that OU does have in its favor is you look at uh, since Mike Leach, every offensive coordinator at the University of, of Oklahoma has gone on to a head coaching job. So, I mean, it's it's obviously as attractive a spot as you could possibly imagine for being an offensive coordinator. It's It's got that pedigree. And so I think it'll be really interesting to see where where uh, where Brent Venables goes here, and then also from there, where do players, either current OU players or recruiting class that has uh, that has been assembled, you know, how many of those, if any, decide to look elsewhere? Those are things to be looking for, especially there in North with the departure of Jeff Levy. Mississippi State is not on OU's schedule next year. It'll be the following year. Question on the text line. All right, 225-9698 is that text line. Give us a text. We'll talk about it. Look around the country next. Hi, everybody. This is David Osterloh. Many of you know me because I ran a retail business in Elk City for over 30 years. 
That's where I learned that if you take care of your customers, they will take care of you. So when it was time to look for a career in real estate, I wanted to land someplace that had the same principles. Western Oklahoma Realty seemed like a natural fit. Putting people before property is the same as taking care of your customers. Since I've been at Western Oklahoma Realty, I've come to understand that is how they do business. People before property is not just a hashtag, it's a way of taking care of customers. When you are looking for your next home, we will find a place that your family can call home. When you are going to sell your current home, we will find a buyer that loves your place as much as you do. Western Oklahoma Realty, where putting people before property is a way of life. Come see us at 602 West 3rd Street. We are in the historic greenhouse on the hill, one block west of Homeland. Or you can check out our website, westernoklamarealty.com, or even call us at 580-225-6271. The Skinny on Sports. Welcome back. Skinny on Sports, 98.1 FM, the sports animal, hanging out here on a Monday recapping the entirety of the college football weekend starting all the way back on Thursday through the games we saw, excuse me, on Saturday. Yeah, I got just got a text calling it now, Dylan Gabriel to Mississippi State. That would not shock me in any way, shape, or form. He has another year to play. It's just probably a matter of how how, how bad does he – want to play or try to play in the NFL? If the answer to that question is not really all that big a deal to him, then, oh, yeah, I could 100% see Dylan Gabriel in the portal. Now, here's the question. Can he do it for free? Can he, can he have like a, a transfer portal and then a graduate transfer and not have to sit out? That would be the that would be the one technicality that would have to be kind of looked into and, and figured out if you could use both of those things to your to at your disposal to not have to have the double transfer and sit out. It's it's so fascinating to me with the the the, the things you see. I'm going to compare two quarterbacks and the seasons they had this season. One completed 68.6% of his passes on 388 attempts. So 266 out of 388, which is 68.6%, threw for 3,633 yards, threw 30 touchdowns, had five interceptions, passer rating of 170.15. The next guy... Completed the exact same amount of passes, 266 on four less attempts, so 384. So his uh, completion percentage just a tick higher at 69.3. Threw for 3,660 yards, which is 27 more. Also 30 touchdowns, one more interception with six. And a passer rating of 171.98, so almost two full points better than the first guy. Would anybody like to fire out a guess at who those quarterbacks are on the text line? 225-9698. Excuse me. Which two quarterbacks are those that are that are being compared there? The guess is Bowman and Gabriel. That is not correct. Thank you for the blessings. We do have a winner on the text line. It's Caleb Williams and Dylan Gabriel's stats from this year. 
and Dylan Gabriel was the one that had the better stats this season than Caleb Williams. Pretty wild. Pretty wild to think about because I don't think very many people would put those two even in the same category. But that's uh, who it was. And I'm not saying they are, but stat-wise, very, very similar. Shows you the year that Gabriel had uh, this season for the Sooners. All right, let's look nationally at what happened over the weekend. The big game, the biggest game of the season, at least to this point, up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Michigan Wolverines, just a little bit better than the Ohio State Buckeyes. 30-24, to Michigan stays unfeated. Now goes into the Big Ten Championship game against the Iowa Hawkeyes coming up on Saturday. J.J. McCarthy made enough plays. He Once again, not asked to do a ton. You wonder if that's just Sharon Moore's philosophy or if you know, kind of being the fill-in coach, an offensive line type guy, if just is willing to is willing to just hand the hand the game to the offensive line and go. Uh, but McCarthy was good, 16 of 20 for 148 in the touchdown. That touchdown was a, a, the thread of the needle pass to Roman Wilson, which it almost looked like that could have been an interception right at the goal line. I would have loved to have seen what would have happened if that would have been out on the field because the rules are just seem to be different out on the field than they are in the end zone. But Ohio State had their chances. Uh, holding Michigan to a couple of field goals there in the fourth quarter, gave them a shot. They had the ball with under a minute left, trying to drive uh, just inside of in, – just, in, in, just into Michigan territory. And then the quarterback, Kyle McCord, was hit as he threw. The ball kind of fluttered. Interception seals the game for the Wolverines. And uh, Michigan continues now three straight wins. It's crazy how that series has flopped, right? I mean, for years it was Michigan can't beat Ohio State, Harbaugh can't beat Ohio State, and now it's the other way around. It's three straight wins for the Wolverines. Rod Moore had that game-sealing interception. And now the questions are starting to mount on Ryan Day. Guy's lost seven games in his career, but three the last three to Michigan. And there's a bunch of Ohio State fans that were hoping to see him maybe head south to, to College Station, which is, just seems to me to be craziness, but – that's the way big-time college football is and big-time college football fans are. And especially if you can't beat your rival in that in that game, then there's going to be some question marks uh, surrounding Ohio State in the offseason. You know, Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't really tip his hand much as far as going to the NFL. It would be shocking if he didn't, if he didn't go. It, what was crazy to me about Marvin Harrison Jr. is it didn't really seem like he affected the game all that much. He still had five catches for 118 and a touchdown. But it just it didn't seem, it didn't feel like he was a, a real part of that game. But you look at the stat line and, you know, he's he made some plays, but it wasn't enough. So now Michigan, as I mentioned, against Iowa this week, Big Ten title game, a win cements their spot into the college football playoffs. So there was that one, which was a fantastic game. And following it, the Iron Bowl down at Auburn. A lot of people gave Auburn zero chance to win that game, coming off the embarrassment of the week before losing to New Mexico State in the fashion that they lost to them. 
it's amazing how Auburn plays Alabama on their home field. And Auburn had every right to win that game. They muff a punt late. Fourth down and goal from the 31. And Jalen Milrow finds Isaiah Bond in the corner of the end zone. How in the world Auburn either designed a defense to have your corner turn his back on the quarterback or just the the defensive back doing it on his own what is why you're ever 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 doing that on fourth and 31 fourth and goal from the 31 i will never understand how you don't just keep your eyes on the quarterback don't turn your back and just flow with the way his eyes are going i just don't get it but that's the way that that's the way that it went and then the corners of the end zone the back corner of both end zones was kind of like where the single coverage was and Milrow finds bond what well, it's some of the things that have happened in that series especially at jordan hare have just been have been mind-boggling that play where does that rank versus the kick six from 2013 i think on the exact same day 10 years later on the 10-year anniversary of that miraculous play from auburn alabama pulls a rabbit out of the hat to be able to defeat their in-state rival and now keep their hopes of a college football playoff spot alive. They were already going to the SEC title game, but at, the, but at that point, if they don't make that play, Alabama's playing more of the spoiler role of Georgia maybe as opposed to being able to win that game and possibly put themselves into the college football playoff. So if you're an Auburn fan, I feel sorry for you today because you absolutely should have won that game. But I will say this. Out, just outside of the disappointment of of blowing that game, you got to feel good about, in my mind, about where Hugh Freeze is and where that program's headed. Because if you look at the two teams outside of Texas, Texas obviously beat Alabama, but everybody Auburn played them great. They played Georgia as close as anybody played Georgia. So I think there's a lot of there's got to be a lot of excitement around what Hugh Freeze could build at Auburn. I think that's a, a program that maybe kind of pointed the needle up as the new SEC starts to form. What did anybody think about Florida State? We talked about it ad nauseum last week. Jordan Travis getting hurt. What does that do to FSU even as an undefeated conference champ? What do they Do they have to look a certain way to be able to to justify a pick into the college football playoff, should that can should that game even should should those rivalry games like that? There really are. There's never really any style points to those, right? I mean, if you win that game, does does anybody care? Does any OSU fan care how you win, Bedlam? Heck no. It's just the fact you win. Does any OU fan care about how you win the Red River Shootout? No. Don't care about how many points you win by. Don't care about how you do it, how you go about looking doing it. Think any Alabama fan cares that they didn't have any style points against Auburn in the Iron Bowl on Friday on Saturday? No. Just win the game because of what it means and, and just the the emotion that those rivalry games hold. And so that's why, man, kudos to Florida State. And as much as people are gonna gonna dissect 
the backup quarterback's performance, I'll tell you what may get lost in the shuffle for Florida State is that defense and how dominant that defense was. Now, I get it. Florida had a backup quarterback as well. But there's, there's, it's not just offense that plays these games. And if you're Florida State and you look at the way that that defense played, that's got to be kind of your calling card. It's like, listen, all we need is a guy not to turn the football over. Our defense is good enough to keep us in every single game that we will play in any college football playoff scenario. And that's what that's what they did. They won the game. They got out of there winning the game. What's the difference between them and what Washington did? Washington pulled it out against uh, Washington State. You could say Washington State's a better team, which is probably true, probably better than Florida. But I can also tell you that Washington was playing at home. Okay, Washington played at home. Florida State was in the swamp. So how how do you how do you say who which win was better over their in-state rival? Right? I mean, it's kind of splitting hairs. The point the point of the matter is, both teams won the game. Both teams stayed undefeated, and it sets up for a this weekend. Man, could it could it be as simple as it could be? Or will we finally get to see a little bit of chaos? So where do we stand? Going into conference title games this weekend. So in the Pac-12, you have undefeated Washington, one loss Oregon. Everybody and their dog, me included, as soon as that game was over in Seattle with Washington defeating Oregon by three, everybody has since said, Oregon will win the rematch. Oregon will win the rematch. Oregon will win the rematch. And they might. It's very it's very possible that they can win that rematch. They're a nine-point favorite opening line. So a lot of people around the country believe that Oregon, <clears throat> even though they have already lost to Washington, believe that Oregon's a better team than Washington. Good news is we're going to get to see. So you've got that there. Texas and Oklahoma State in the Big, Ten, in the Big 12. <clears throat> Obviously, Oklahoma State can't make the playoff. All they can do is spoil the chances that Texas has. Up north, Big Ten, Michigan wins, they're in. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Washington wins, they're in, I think uh, think as well. Iowa defensively has been unbelievable. How about that game against Nebraska on Saturday? Or on Friday, was it Friday? It's Friday. The lowest over under in the history of college football according to Vegas at 24 and a half and then you look up at halftime and that game is tw- that game is 10 to 7 it's like three quarters of the way there over betters are rejoicing oh my gosh an Iowa game they're for, they're for a little bit in the first half I thought an Iowa game might go over in the first half Nebraska blocked a field goal there's all kinds of crazy stuff happened but you, you know 17 points in the first half all you need is eight more and each team kicks a field goal in the second half, and it still goes under at 13-10. Uh, to 10. So Iowa, obviously, defensively will have something for Michigan. But Michigan's defense, we saw this happen. We've, seen, we've already seen this movie with these two teams in the Big, Tw- the Big Ten title game in the last couple of years, and it was Michigan just suffocating Iowa out of the stadium, probably again. George Bama, SEC. 
Obviously, Georgia wins. They're in as the number one seed. Alabama wins, then who knows? And now Florida State and Louisville is the other Power 5 ACC title game. Undefeated Florida State against now two-loss Louisville as they fell to Kentucky. I have no I, – I have thoughts how it's, how things could shake out. I mean, if you're rooting for chaos, you've got to be rooting for Oregon. I, I, I won't even let my mind drift to what happens if Iowa were to win. But just Oregon and Alabama winning. And the other two staying undefeated with Michigan and Florida State. Just those two have those two things happening with the Texas win in there would create a ton of chaos. An Iowa win would bring it I mean all the way to Armageddon and how in the world you figure out who should be in that college football playoff. That would be the coolest scenario for the final year of four, the final year of a four teamer before it goes to twelve, and then none of this will even matter next year. A bunch of these, a bunch of these results will, will not change anything when it comes to twelve teamers. It would just change some seating and maybe a maybe a buy, maybe a home game here and there. But as far as who's in, who's out, that's the one part of the twelve teamer that will lose a little bit of luster when you think about all the different scenarios that could play out coming up. On Saturday, yeah, it would be interesting to see what the BCS would do if it was just two. If it was just two, if everybody wins like they're supposed to, I think the BCS it would be simple. It would be Georgia and it would be Michigan. I think. You wonder how much the computers would love the Pac-12. Because of the the depth of good teams, would that be enough to push a Washington above one of those other two? Because if you if you on if you take an honest look at Michigan's schedule, like the that's, that's I'd love to see the computers do it to to see what what it what an objective view of Michigan's schedule would look like. Not what we've seen with our own eyes out in the Pac-12 and some ups and some downs for some different teams as the season has gone along. But what what a computer would look at the data, just the data, and how they would view what Michigan's schedule was and what it is. They'd obviously get a huge bump for beating Ohio State. I, th- I think maybe the Penn State game would be the one. Like how how would how would the computers view Penn State? Because outside of those two, the schedule is rough, rough in a bad way, not in a good way. That would be interesting. I, I bet you anything, somebody will run that simulation. But they'd have to use the AP and the coaches' polls, how they're voted now, not how they were voted then when they felt like they had a chance to actually influence who might make that game. 
All right, when we come back, what is going on at Texas A&M? Skinny on Sports right here on the Sports Animal. We were sitting around the office one day and tried to explain what Western Oklahoma Realty was. If you had to put it in a dictionary, what would you get? What kind of definition you would get? I think I said, is a, what about, were people before property? People before property means to me that you care about the person more than you care about what they're buying in that you want them to get the best thing for their circumstances, the best home, the best investment. For all your real estate needs, give Western Oklahoma Realty a call at 225-6271. The Skinny on Sports. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? <laughs> If you were wondering what the Alabama play sounded like in Japanese, there you go. This is the Japanese radio commentators of the miracle at the Iron Bowl. <clears throat> Here's a text on the text line uh, asking how everybody felt, how the OSU fans felt uh, at halftime of that game. Me and my two sons are all OSU grads. They were at the game. We kept hoping for a win, but are used to things happening like barely losing and OU gets in the title game. I, I Honestly, I think... I think that's how a, a bunch of OSU fans probably felt. Cautiously optimistic, yet the doomsday scenario in the back of their mind. That would be I, I, that would be my guess, is how a, a bunch of OSU fans felt. Yeah, we're, we're, we believe because we believe, and but man, we've seen this all too often go the wrong way. But it didn't. It absolutely. Did not happen. And Oklahoma State's headed down to Arlington to play Texas Saturday, 11 a.m. inside Jerry World. Talking about the BCS, who would the computers love? I, I agree. Our man Tyler Harrison uh, t- thinks the computers would love Texas. I agree 100%. When you look at um, the, the, win, the one win they had, the one win at Alabama on the road, and not only at Alabama on the road, but also a ten-point win at Alabama on the road. I think that's I think it's a hundred percent right. I think it's a team that the computers would love. I actually think the computers would love Ohio State as well. Winning at Notre Dame. Is is one of those wins that I think would really help. It, it seemed it seemed like those out of conference wins. I mean, just for Oklahoma, think about the, the the different times that they were in, you know, battles for that top two, and almost every single time it was an out of conference win that another team didn't have. You know, Oregon in two thousand and four, Auburn didn't have that win. It was also before, you know, that it's hard to remember this, kids, but that was before the SEC was considered far and wide the best conference in America back then it might have even been the Big 12 when you still had Nebraska Colorado Missouri and A&M in that league Texas was rolling year after year underneath Mac Brown so that was always a huge win that OU could get and then Oklahoma played good enough out of conference schedules back then to be able to to sneak past some teams and play for that national title 
So if, if, if you use that as the barometer, I think Texas, I think Ohio State will be a couple of the teams that those computers would love if this was still the BCS style of thing. You know, obviously Ohio State would have a hard time getting there with the loss, but I think that they, they would have been a team that would have been way up there going into this weekend in that game against Michigan as far as the computers go because of those out-of-conference wins. All right, what's going on at A&M? I guess they're going to hire Mike Elko now. Former A&M defensive coordinator, went to, uh, went to Duke, had a nice season, especially before Riley Leonard got hurt. Duke was uh, looking to be kind of one of those teams in the mix in the ACC. I think a lot of people, as soon as Jimbo Fisher was fired, I think Mike Elko's name was immediately brought up with the connections back to A&M when he was there and also the success he had at Duke. So in a vacuum, it makes sense. Okay, yeah, they hired Mike Elko. Of course they did. But see, we don't live in a vacuum because we live in the real world. And in the real world, late Saturday night, it appeared Mark Stoops had this job. Even to the point where it's starting to leak out that an agreement had been made in principle wasn't quite finalized. And as soon as that, as soon as word leaked out that A&M was hiring Mark Stoops, the internet was ablaze with Mark Stoops bashing. Can you tell me what Mike Elko has done? I mean, A&M fans seem more than happy with Mike Elko, but weren't with Mark Stoops. I wonder why. Isn't Mike Elko just Mark Stoops without the sustained success in the SEC at a lesser program historically? Isn't that all they are? Just a, isn't Mark Stoops just more proven than Mike, Mike Elko? Do, do people realize what Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky? Is Do they realize what he's done, first off? So in 11 seasons, he's 73 and 64. Going back through it, I didn't add up everybody's record all the way back past Bear Bryant, but... You know, the Bear, Bear Bryant, heard of him? Outside of Mark Stoops, he's the only guy that's had a winning record as the head coach of Kentucky. Now, I'm not sitting here by any stretch of the imagination telling you that Mark Stoops is Bear Bryant. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that Mark Stoops has done an amazing job. And if you take, if you take away his first year, which is 2-10, and 10, he's 73-64. and 64. So that's 71-54. and 54 taking away that first year where you know he just stepped into a mess that was Kentucky football. He's had seven winning seasons in 11 at Kentucky. You have to go from 1985 till 2012, right before Mark Stoops was there. It took that big a span to, win, to have seven winning seasons. Almost 30 years, and he did it in 11. Kentucky's won 10 games four times in its history. Four times in its history. Twice Mark Stoops has been the coach. So he's got half 
of the 10 win seasons in only 11 years. Two 10 win seasons in 11. You know you know how many A&M has in that time frame? One. So Mark Stoops has won 10 games more at Kentucky than A&M's won in that time frame. And, I mean, there's no way anybody would consider Kentucky even two levels close enough to A&M as a job. And then Mark Stoops has had Kentucky finish in the top 25 of the college football playoff poll, since that's kind of coincides when he got there. They've done it twice. A&M's done it three times. Listen, Mike Elko may turn out to be the messiah that Texas A&M thinks they get each and every time they they hire a coach. But I'm going to tell you this. At least with what they've proven, and proven within the SEC, which what has Mike Elko proven in the SEC? Nothing as a head coach. Texas A&M hired a worse coach because their fan base got mad on Twitter and they did an about face in the middle of the night on Saturday night, Sunday morning because their fans didn't feel like Mark Stoops won the press conference, which may be true. But I'll tell you this, Mark Stoops wins football games and he wins football games at Kentucky and he wins football games at Kentucky on a level that only Bear Bryant has won football games at Kentucky. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. How A&M has gone about this and how they went about it. I know we'll have plenty more to talk about college football-wise leading into conference title weekend. Hit some NFL tomorrow coaching stuff as well thanks for listening everybody have a great day it's been the skinny on sports right here on the sports animal you've been listening to the skinny on sports podcast with aaron cow be sure to hit that subscribe button to get alerts of when the latest podcast is available thanks for listening that ball is blistered to right way back goodbye hi everybody this is david osterlow many of you know me because i ran a retail business in elk city for over 30 years That's where I learned that if you take care of your customers, they will take care of you. So when it was time to look for a career in real estate, I wanted to land someplace that had the same principles. Western Oklahoma Realty seemed like a natural fit. Putting people before property is the same as taking care of your customers. Since I've been at Western Oklahoma Realty, I've come to understand that is how they do business. People before property is not just a hashtag, it's a way of taking care of customers. When you are looking for your next home, we will find a place that your family can call home. When you are going to sell your current home, we will find a buyer that loves your place as much as you do. Western Oklahoma Realty, where putting people before property is a way of life. Come see us at 602 West 3rd Street. We are in the historic greenhouse on the hill, one block west of Homeland. Or you can check out our website, westernoklahomarealty.com, or even call us at 580-225-6271.